All right. So we've been talking about a series. We've been in a series called Fearless. We'll be in that series again today. Uh, obviously, we'll be talking about how Jesus was the picture of being fearless in the face of what was about to happen to him as he was going to have to endure the cross, as he was going to have to endure the beating that you and I deserved, where, where the flesh would be ripped off of his bones and the muscles would be exposed and even internal organs to some degree would even be hanging out of his body and he would be so marred and, and so uh, disfigured that he'd be barely recognizable as a man. Um, it's hard to imagine being fearless when you know that that is coming, when you know that that's ultimately the destination for you, that's where you're going to be. It's hard to imagine being fearless in that situation. Well, we see Jesus in a place of being fearless uh, when he's actually uh, he's taken into a, a trial that's not really a trial. As a matter of fact, it's an illegal trial because it's done under the cover of darkness uh, trials are supposed to happen in daylight, and, and it's done under the cover of darkness in a secret place, and it's obvious that they're, they're, they're trying to do something that they're not supposed to be doing, and, and that's what's going on, and they, they end up accusing Jesus of things, and, and basically it's just a false trial. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows that this is the way it's supposed to happen, because this was the whole purpose for Jesus' life. This is what he was supposed to do. And he was going to be obedient to the Father even in the face of the false trial, the illegal trial that was going to happen, and the, the, the brutal beating and crucifixion that he did not deserve. He was still, still fearless in the face of that. Well, how was Jesus able to do that? How was Jesus able to face all of these things, even though, I mean, from my perspective, when, when things come against me and they're not my fault or, 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 or things come up, uh, 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 that things are said against me that are not true, I, I just want to shout from the rooftops, this, this isn't so, this didn't happen, it's not true, it's not the case. But Jesus sits silently in the face of all this opposition and all this false accusations Jesus sits silently for one reason and one reason only, and that is obedience to his Father. Obedience to his Father's will because this, he knew that this was the purpose for his life. From, from, the very, from his very birth, he had, he had been pointed towards the cross. He had been pointed towards what was ultimately going to happen to him, and that was to be a sacrifice for every single one of us. That, that's the reason that, that he was the spotless lamb. He lived a perfect life. So every single time that, that Jesus would have to endure some sort of temptation in his life and he would resist that temptation and he would live a life of perfection, every single time that happened, that was Jesus being pointed towards the cross and saying, you're the spotless lamb. You're the one that's going to have to be the sacrifice for everybody. So constantly... Obedience to his father is what was on Jesus' mind. As we look at our lives and the things we endure and the, the, the things we're afraid of in life, I, I wish that we would take our minds off everything else and focus on obedience to the father like Jesus did. I really believe if we desperately want fear to fade into the background and we want Jesus Christ to be number one, then we have to focus on being obedient to the Father, obedient to God's will for our life. 
And if we do that, I really believe if we take Jesus as an example, we're going to look at Jesus in front of Pilate in just a minute. If we take Jesus as the example, we can see fearlessness in his life and fearlessness that we can We can glean from and we can tap into and we can say, if I will do that in my life, then I can be fearless like Jesus. But the reality is, here's the struggle. Here's the struggle. You want me to tell you what the struggle is? We want to be obedient to the Father. We say that. But we're afraid of it. We're afraid of what that would mean. If you look at what being obedient to the Father meant for Jesus, it meant he was going to go to the cross. It meant that he was going to be whipped and beaten and the beard plucked from his face, and a crown of thorns pressed on his head, you go, well, I don't know if I necessarily want to be obedient to the Father. right? I, if, if that's my destination, I don't know that that's what I want. I don't know that I necessarily want that. And this is what people say. Man, I want to give my life to Jesus. I, I want to surrender everything to Jesus, and I want him to be number one in my life. But at the same time, I'm a little afraid of what that would mean. Does that mean I'm going to turn into some sort of Jesus freak that, that's going to be have my Bible out at, at lunchtime in the break room, reading over it? Does that mean that, that God's going to call me to some mission field on the other side of the world? Does that mean that, that God may call me to preach one day? What if I give everything to Jesus and, oh, no, all of a sudden I'm doing a bunch of stuff I don't want to do? Let me hang on to me and let me do what I want to do but give everything to Jesus. And it doesn't work that way. It doesn't, I mean, really, we, we say that we want to give everything to Jesus, but we want to hang on to self. And when you hang on to self, you're going to struggle in that place of fear. You're going to struggle and go, I'm afraid of what God is calling me to. I am afraid of what it means to completely surrender to him. And that's the place most people want to hang out. And they go, why do I struggle with fear? Why, why do I struggle? Why am I so afraid? And I go, Give everything to him, and you don't have anything to fear. Not even death. Just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. Let's look at what the Bible says in this particular account in Matthew. Chapter 27. Jesus' trial before Pilate. It begins in verse 11. It says, Now Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor, Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus replied, you have said it. The only thing Jesus says in this whole ordeal is, he says, are you the king king of the Jews? And he says, just like you said. Just like you said. But when the leading priests and the elders made their accusation against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all these charges they're bringing against you, Pilate demanded? But Jesus made no response to any of the charges. Much to the governor's surprise. Now, it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one of the prisoners to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message. This is Pilate's wife. Sent him this message. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffer suffer through a terrible nightmare about him last night. 
Meanwhile, the leading priests and elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas to, release, to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two men do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate responded, then, what should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? They shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? The mob roared even louder, crucify him. Pilate saw that he, was getting, he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, we will take responsibility for his death. We and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. So in this story, we see a couple of elements of fear. We see first and foremost a guy named Pilate. Um, one of the reasons why, why Pilate was very afraid in this particular time is because the Roman government had really kind of been fed up with Pilate to some degree. They had been fed up with, with the fact that there had been some, some insurrections, some, some, uh, some people that had been causing riots in the town, and, and they'd been raising up against the Roman rule, and, and, and Pilate was kind of in an awkward position. He, he was trying to keep the peace. He, he just wanted to keep things on the DL. You know, he just wanted to, to keep things quiet. Boy, isn't that a place of fear for us, a place of struggle for us, a place of difficulty for us? When we're fearful about our jobs, for one, fearful about uh, the, the pressures that come from everywhere else, well, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to me? I, I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about what's going to happen. And, and ultimately, I, I think that if we take our eyes off of that and just focus on, on what God would have us to do, we wouldn't worry so much about that. Because God provided the job that you have right now. And if God wants you to have a different job, then God will give you a different job. If God wants you to have no job so that you're hungry for a little while, so that you trust more in Him, then that's what God will do too. So as you are fearful about your job and what's going to happen and you're wringing your hands, I don't know, I'm so scared. What if we could just say, you know what, I'll just be obedient. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. I'm going to continue to do what Jesus would have me to do. And if I have a job, if I don't have a job, whatever the case may be, glory be to God. I'm just going to continue to be obedient to the Father. Oh, You mean I'm supposed to just give him everything? <laughs> it's called Christianity. It's called being a follower of Jesus. As a matter of fact, the disciples, what did they do when they followed Jesus? They just left it all. Jobs. I mean, I mean, Matthew was a tax collector. And as soon as he got up from his tax collecting booth, there was somebody right there to fill it because he was making the jack. He was making some serious money over there at the tax collecting booth. And there would be somebody to fill that job. And Matthew, he, Jesus walks by one day and he just says, follow me. And, Jesus, and Matthew gets up and he just follows Jesus. And yet we, as, as Christians, we're, we're so tied up and worried about our job. Oh, what's going to happen? I just don't know. I'm so scared. I'm terrified. Just follow Jesus. Just follow Jesus. I promise you, I, I promise you, his way is a lot better than any job you've ever had. 
Just follow, is it okay to have a job and to follow Jesus? Yes, absolutely. You can put food on the table and you can eat. You don't have to starve. But don't worry that if you don't have a job today that you'll never have one or that you, 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 you're going to just perish and everything's going to fall apart. Just, just be obedient to God. Just be obedient to God. You know, I, and I recognize sometimes that it, it is worrisome because we have mortgages. I, I get that, right? I do. I get that. But understand, there's a God who loves you. There's a God who cares about you deeply. And, and, and if you suffer something, if you suffer in some kind of way, it's not necessarily that you've been disobedient. It's not necessarily that, 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 that you deserve it. It could be that God's trying to draw you back to him. That, that's entirely possible. But it could also be just life happening and God just telling you to trust him. Who was Pilate trusting in right now? He was trusting in himself. Man, I got to fix this. I got to make it right. I got to do what I got to do. And his wife is even calling him on his cell phone like, man, I've had a terrible dream last night. So send him a message. I don't imagine it was a text message. It could have been, I guess, but uh, more than likely it would have been some, some guy that probably came up to him and said, hey, your old lady's calling. She, uh, she wants you to know something. She had a dream last night. Maybe came up with a little envelope sealed. Maybe had one of those little stamps on it. I don't know, but hey, she's telling you, you, you need to let this man alone. You need to leave this innocent man alone. You don't need to follow through with this. Now, I, I, I've even asked myself, why is this in the story? Why would God put this in the story? I, I think it's because I, I think God's trying to show us that, that he speaks to, to everyone. He really does. I mean, he, he's calling and drawing and trying to show people things and trying to, to speak to them. Then you have a choice as to whether or not you listen or not. And, and I believe that Pilate's wife was listening. She was trying to figure this thing out. And God had shown her something, and she was trying to get the message across to her husband. But Pilate wasn't listening. Pilate wasn't listening to anybody but Pilate because he was the governor. He was going to do what he wanted to do. The only person Pilate was listening to was the crowd. Whew. Thank goodness we don't do that, right? As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we don't listen to the people around us. Man, we just do what Jesus wants us to do, and we don't ever worry about what a bunch of people are saying, right? Man, I'm glad we don't struggle with that. I'm glad that I never worry about the, the murmur of the crowd or the shouts of the crowd, and I can just continue to follow Jesus. Whew. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. You, you know what the, the biggest problem with, with, with people following Jesus or surrendering to Jesus, you know what their biggest struggle is? It's usually other people. It's usually other people, isn't it? It's usually like, what are they going to say? What are they going to think? Uh, what, what, what are they, what are they, what are they going to, those people over there, what are they talking about when it comes to me? What do they think about me when I, when I follow Jesus and I give myself completely to him? What are they saying? What are they saying if I'm a full-grown adult, got a, a job, got a family, been in church for 20 years, and then I stand up and say, you know what? I've recognized through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the power of God that I'm not truly a Christian. I'm not truly surrendered everything to him. What are people going to say about me? What are they going to think? My heart's beating out of my chest, and I know that I'm supposed to do that, and I know that God is calling me to a real relationship with him. And whatever I did in the past 
was not a real relationship. I've recognized that now because God has revealed it to me through His Word and through His Holy Spirit. What are people going to say? You know how many people sit in those chairs and don't surrender their lives to Jesus Christ because they're afraid of what everybody's going to say? I bet there's a bunch. I bet there's a whole, whole lot. The more you go on in life, the older you get in life, you know what you, you do? Everybody thinks this is a teenage problem, right? Your peers and peer pressure and all that. That's garbage. It's really bad. It's really bad when you get 40 plus. You get so, so caught up in what everybody's going to think. There ain't no way I can do something crazy like stand up and say, I need Jesus. And I've not really been a, a, a Christian. I've just been a, a churchgoer. That, that's, that's way harder for somebody that's 40 plus than it is for somebody that's a teenager. Way, way harder. Way, way harder. Pilate started listening to the crowd. And why was the crowd yelling, crucify him? I mean, they said, give us Barabbas. Now, what do I think about Barabbas? Barabbas didn't care about Jesus. Barabbas, he, he, I, I don't even think, I, I, there's no indication he was afraid of the fact that he was going to die. He's just... He's just a dude, right? Like, he's a murderer. He's a, he's a bad guy. And, like, you just, there's, there's no indication of, of Barabbas being afraid of anything. He's just there, right? He's just there. And the crowd says, give us Barabbas. We want Barabbas. We, we, bring him to us. Put us, take him. We want to take him and put him back into our society and make him one of us again. And if you look at the contrast of Jesus and what he stood for and Barabbas, what he stood for, and you go, they wanted Barabbas, huh? Why? Why did the crowd shout that? It's the chief priests. It's the leadership, the religious leaders of the day. They were intimidated by Jesus. They were scared of Jesus. So they rebel roused the people and got them all fired up and said, we have got to have Jesus crucified we got to get rid of this dude. I mean, like, he's got to go away. He's saying things that, that are going to make us look different than what we've always tried to, to say that we were. That was their, the chief priest's problem, right? Jesus called them a bunch of, a bunch of snakes. Brood of vipers is what he would call them. And, and the reason he said that is he says, you're like a whitewashed tomb. You got all this, this stuff on the outside making you look good, but on the inside, you're empty, you're devoid of anything good. You, you, you make yourself look like you're, you're, you're just suffering every time you fast because you want the praises of people and not of God. And they say, this Jesus guy, he's infringing on our way of life. He's, he's infringing on, on what we've been trying to portray to everybody. He's destroying the image that we've worked so hard to build up. What were the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees scared of? They were scared of losing their image. They, they, were, they were scared of, of being called out. They were scared of, of the fact that Jesus was showing that they were hypocrites. Terrified of that. Man, I can't have anybody saying I'm a hypocrite. We got to get rid of that dude. We, we got to get him out of here. So what did they do? They, they whipped the crowd into a frenzy. Now this is, this is maybe not the same crowd, but there were at least some of the people that were there uh, from, from Palm Sunday the week before when he was coming into Jerusalem. And, and they were 
praising his name, Hosanna, Hosanna. They, 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 were, they were just talking about how he was the Messiah. He was the Savior. He was the King of the Jews. That's who he was, and we're going to praise his name for being that. And then just a short while later, here they are, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And there's this whole crowd mentality. The crowd's influenced by two people, actually, I think. The chief priests, the Sadducees, Pharisees, the religious leaders, jerks of the day, they're, they're influenced by them, for sure. But I think they're influenced by the other crowd, the rest of the crowd, too. Isn't that the way we get? We get in a crowd, we get in a group of people, and all of a sudden we start behaving like everybody else instead of being obedient to Jesus. Right? We, 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 we want to fit in. We want to do everything that we can to make sure that we look like everybody else and we blend in. I don't want to be different. I don't want to look any different, act any different. I just want to be like everybody else. Now, I, I told you before, and this, this applies, you know, the same way too. This is not just a teenage problem. This, this is not just a teenage problem. This is a much bigger problem for adults than it is for teenagers ever. We so desperately just want to, man, I, I, just, I just want to blend in. I don't want anybody to think I'm different. I don't want to necessarily raise my hands in worship because, man, they'll look at me like I'm some sort of freak or, uh, you know, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to cry in church or come down the altar or anything like that because I just want to blend in because I'm afraid, man. What if I look different? What if people look at me like I'm, there's, you know, I, I just don't want anything to be wrong with me. Isn't that what we say? I just don't want anybody to know that there's anything wrong with me. I, I've got some news for you. In case you didn't know this, I'm going I'm to give you a fact here that, that probably is going to be shocking to you when I say it. There is something wrong with all of us. There is something wrong with all of us. There is something wrong with all of us. Do you know why I know that? Because Christ died. Christ died because there's something wrong with all of us. So the fact that you need Jesus and you come down here and weep and bawl and just cry your eyes out to God and say, God, I need you. I need you. That's simply being obedient to God and just saying, you know what? I am just like everybody else, as a matter of fact. I just choose to acknowledge the fact that I need Jesus. And they may be afraid to. They may be afraid to. You got all these people, this, this story here, and they're all afraid. They're all terrified. Except for one. Except for one. His name is Jesus. And he sits silently because you know what? His destiny was the cross. That's where he was headed. That's where God was going to send him. Pilate did not send him to the cross God the Father sent Jesus to the cross, in case you didn't know. Pilate may look like he's sending Jesus to the cross, but it didn't matter what Pilate said. Jesus was going to the cross anyway. Jesus was going to die for you and I no matter what Pilate said. Pilate just happened to be, be, be part of what God used because God knew what he was going to say and he knew what he was going to do. And you're like, Kenny, how, how does that work out? And I don't really know, but all I know is, is he was an instrument of God. And even in his evil plan, what happened was God used it for the glory of mankind to save the whole world. 
for God's purposes so that Jesus would go to the cross like he was supposed to, to die for you and I. And, and Jesus is not afraid. He sits silently. Isaiah 53, 7. I think we got it. We put it up on the screen here. This is Isaiah prophesying about what would happen. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. This is what Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah that was to come, and he was going to sit silently. Not in obedience to Pilate, but in obedience to the Father. Why so many times are we overcome by fear? Why so many times are we afraid to take steps of obedience? Why so many times are we afraid to say yes to Jesus and no to everybody else? Why so many times are we trying to fit in in the crowd and trying to look like everybody else when Jesus, as a matter of fact, called us to look completely different from everybody else? Look completely different from everybody else. Yet we're trying to do the opposite and we're trying to fit in. Because we're terrified. We're terrified of man and we're not terrified of God the Father. A righteous fear, a holy fear of God. The one who deserves to be feared. Man doesn't hold anything over us. Man doesn't have control over us. Man doesn't put the stars in the sky and yet we're afraid of him and not afraid of the one true God. That doesn't even make sense. But we do it all the time. We do it all the time because we're afraid. We're afraid. I got a video. I like this video. I've shown it before. I'll show it again. Um, it's about Barabbas and it's about Jesus. And the contrast between the two. I, I love this video because it shows our messed up view of the gospel. How we're going to do something as opposed to just saying, Jesus, 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 you do it in and through me. How does he do that? By obedience, by surrender. Let's watch the video. We see the story of Jesus going to the cross and everything seems to kind of be hand in hand. And then there's this one character that seems to interrupt the narrative. His name's Barabbas. We don't even know much about him except that he's a murderer, a leader of an insurrection, a rebel. And why he's even mentioned, sometimes I'm not so sure. It's like, what? Let's, this is about Jesus going to the cross. So in this moment, Pilate thinks, I hold the destinies of these two men in my hand. I know the Jews have a tradition that on a holy day, I will release one of the prisoners on death row. Pilate stands on this audacious stage who now presents Jesus, son of the living God, versus Barabbas, the thug and rebel. He says, all right, who do you want? This is blasphemy. This is, this has gone too far. There's no comparison. This is a rightful prisoner, a man who should be on death row. He's a rebel against Rome. 
He leads a, a rebellion. He murders people. He's a bad man. He's a thug and he's a crook. He deserves the chains and he deserves the crucifixion. Jesus, what has he done but heal, restore, deliver, set free, open blind eyes, open deaf ears, heal the lame and the leper? What, what has Jesus done? Who do you want? We, we want Barabbas. Yeah, give us Barabbas. People say, give us Barabbas. The Roman soldiers come up and they put the key in and they unlock Barabbas from his chains and shackles. And he walks down the platform welcomed by all of his thug friends. Yeah, the people love me. Yeah, that's right, I don't even know who this Jesus guy is, but all I know is my people love me. There seems to be no conscience in Barabbas. There's no record of him turning to Jesus and saying, I owe you everything now, or you have set me free. No, I don't see any of that in Barabbas. And God knew that. Jesus stood there, silent, for he knew the will of the Father. He said, it's fine, Father. Let him have Barabbas. For Jesus knew that the Father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Barabbas thought it was the people that set him free. No, 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 no. It was the love of the Heavenly Father. When I look at the story, I realize who Barabbas really is. That's me. That's you. That's us. And I felt I was reading this the other day, and I felt God speak to me. I love Barabbas. I love him. But God, he's a bad man. I love him. And I wanted him to go free. But didn't you know that he probably would have never acknowledged the freak? Yeah, but I love Barabbas. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his son for Barabbas, even the one he knew would walk away from Jesus and his free gift and never come back. He loves them. And the nerve, the call, and the audacity of believers to think, I got saved by grace, but now that I'm in this deep, dark place of bondage, I better work hard to get myself out. What? That's the opposite of the gospel. Are you bound? Are you held under the power of this temptation, this sin? Do you feel like it's controlling you? What are you going to do? I'm going to shake myself free. Stop it! No, you won't! You're no match for the powers of hell! And the urges of sin will not overcome it, and you will never overcome it. You'll just be another statistic. There's no answer within yourself. Your own marriage, your own goodness, your own discipline, your own devotion will not save your marriage and will not save your kids. There's only one, and he's the one that took your place. He's the one that stood silently on the platform with Pilate and said, yes, let him have Barabbas. Take me! How many times have I stood on that platform with Pilate and Jesus, and I'm the Barabbas? 
and they start to take my chains off. And I say, no, no, I deserve this. I deserve the guilt. I deserve the shame. I deserve the consequence. I deserve it. Jesus seems to look at me, say, no, son, let me have it. Let me have your sin. Let me have your pain. No, God, I did it to myself. I deserve it. My marriage won't make it. This is what I deserve. I deserve divorce. I deserve poverty. I deserve sickness. I deserve it all. No! God, I, I'm so ashamed. Give me your shame. What if I do it again? I'll still be here. Oh, God, I don't want to hurt you. I love you. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Give me your sins, son. This is all we got. It's all I got. It's all you got. We can play games. We can play church games. We can pretend like some people are better than others and that's why they're blessed, or we can all come to the honest conclusion that it's God. And it's God alone. The greatest challenge is not your discipline, your devotion, your focus. Your greatest challenge is believing the gospel. Could it be that there's a God with a love so scandalous, so wide, so deep, so vast, so high, so expansive, so welcoming, so inclusive. Let me have your sin, son. Okay. When I give him my sin, let's stand in this empty space of forgiveness and acceptance while Jesus walks off to the cross that I deserve. I see him, I see him walking to the post to be whipped. As I stand a free man, all the attention is turned now. And I feel the love of God saying, go son, live your life. I'll pay the price. Where did we get off thinking that we were gonna set ourselves free? It's still Jesus. It'll always be Jesus. It'll never stop being the power of Jesus. If his blood is sufficient for your salvation, his blood is sufficient to sustain you through every challenge and every sin and every temptation. Jesus is enough. You know what sets us apart? You know what sets Christianity apart? You know what you have to do in order to have a relationship with him, in order to have the power over the fear? You know what you have to do? It's one word and it's three letters. Ask. All you have to do is ask. And I'm not just talking about some superficial one-time asking. I'm talking about you live a life where you are asking God. Jesus, I need you. The power exists in you and through you. Ask. Let me pray. Father, thank you. God, for the amazing power of the cross. God, for the amazing power of the resurrection. The power we have to overcome 
especially the power we have to overcome fear. Lord, there are so many things that are distractions away from you, and I pray that we would not be, God, we would not be taken away from that. That, God, we'd fix our eyes on the power that exists on the cross and the resurrection. And, God, that we would tap into that. We would look to you. We'd look to be obedient to you in every single step that we take. We'd stop paying attention to the people that are around us, and we'd pay attention to you. God, we're so overcome by fear. We're so overcome by, by worry and stress and all these things that are pressing in upon us. God, if we really want to be set free from those things, then I pray that we'd be just obedient to you. God, it is the power that you have. God, you are the only one with the power. And while we keep looking to these other places for power, I do not know. But God, help us to find the power in you. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. Lord, I so desperately, I want people to come to you and stop worrying about other people. God, I, I so desperately want other people to stop being a distraction from the power that exists in Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ alone. So Lord, if there's people that need to come and pray and weep over sin, if there are people that need to come and surrender their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ, for whatever reason, they, they may have said something in the past, God, but it didn't come from their heart. It wasn't the overflow of their heart where they want to give everything to you. Lord, I pray that they would do that and they would not be distracted by anybody else. They would not be distracted by their fear of anybody else, God. They would just simply be obedient to you and they would simply ask, Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy that was poured out through the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Would everyone please stand?